go. Uh, we started this series on hope and a living hope that we have. And uh, we've, we've been learning in verse number one, of course, who Peter is, who he's writing to. Uh, we talked a little bit about what the aim of this letter is. And then last week we talked about uh, the grace of God in the life of Peter and in the life of those that he is writing to and how he wants them to experience all that grace has to offer. And, uh, and we, we really dug into, it wasn't a, a uh, really a message of go and do this kind of message. It wasn't a message that really focused on um, uh, what we say as Christians or what we need to go and do as Christians, but, but rather in what we've received as Christians. And that is the salvation through Jesus Christ, through the sacrifice of his life and his blood, there on the cross of Calvary. And so in verse 3, 4, and 5, uh, Peter is talking about praising God whose mercy uh, and in his mercy sent his son to die for us and how we can rest in that salvation that we received. It's incorruptible and uh, it's undefiled and it fades not away. And, and we, we define those words. We said incorruptible means that, uh, that it's, it's, there's nothing that, uh, that can make it lose what it is. We, uh, we said that undefiled means it's pure. It, 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 does, it does have not have any contamination. And we said fadeth not away is its value remains. It's time proof. And that is what we've received when we've received the salvation of God. It is a hope of a bright future, a future glory. In fact, I think I left this in your notes. But hope, just to remind you, hope is the future glory of a life that is eternal, uh, a life that is eternal and full of unrestrained joy with God. We, we learn that this is what hope is, a future glory. Our hope is not in this world. Our hope is not that our finances change within the next week. Uh, our hope is not that we become uh, famous and our country changes from today to tomorrow. Our hope as Christians is not rooted in this world. It's actually in a, another world, in a future world, in a future existence that we will have after this life. And so we, we dug into what that hope is. But, but what does that mean for us then? Understanding what that hope is, what does it mean for us? Let me say that one of the great characteristics of the life of the Christian is the fruit that is produced by the Spirit of God that lives in us. Galatians 5, and 23 talk about the fruit of the Spirit. And, and two characteristics of the fruit that we have that we are to display as Christians is love and joy. That is something that ought to flow out of our lives as Christians, and it's a characteristic that we are to display to the whole world. So the hope that we have, that future glory working in us, ought to produce for others to see love and joy. If it's not producing love and joy, my question would be, are you sure you have that hope? Are you sure that the hope of God is in you? Now, what does hope then actually do for us? If we do have that hope, and there's love and joy that it's supposed to be producing, well, well how does a hope do that? I mean, what is hope really for in our life? How does it apply to our every day life. I mean, we've been 
we're going to be talking about this living hope. That's what the letter is all about. How does it apply to, to my life when I go to work? I mean, what does this matter for my family? How exactly does it apply? And that's a great question. You know, I remember being in 11th grade, and I was uh, in chemistry class with a teacher named Mrs. Brister. She's actually still teaching today. Uh, in fact, it was maybe her second year teaching at that time. Uh, she teaches at Macedonian Christian Academy now. And, um, and I remember being in her class, and we were going through the, uh, the, the chart, uh, periodic table, thank you. Uh, I was trying to think, what's that chart called? I mean, and it has all of the, you know, uh, sodium and uh, nitrogen and all these things on, the, on that periodic chart. And um, you have to learn it. Uh, I don't know how many of you all remember uh, chemistry class. For some of you, it's like, oh, that was three, four years ago. For some of us, it's maybe 20, 25 years ago. Uh, so you may not remember exactly, and I forgot to put a picture of us just to remind us of that chart. But, you know, um, you, you have to learn this whole chart just for the test. And and uh, I remember raising my hand one day and saying, Ms. Brister, seriously, why do I need to know this? Honestly, why, do any, why does anyone need to know this? Why are we taking chemistry? I mean, I'm not looking to invent anything in my life. I mean, seriously, why are we knowing this? And, and she gave me the typical teacher answer in the moment. She was like, well, you know, Jeremy, we ought to expand our minds, you know, and, you know, taking algebra and all these higher maths and higher sciences. It's good to expand your thinking and your mind and... I thought I'll just, I'd rather have let my mind just be small. It's okay, Professor. I don't need to expand it. I'm fine. Well, a few weeks later, um, we get into the book, and this formula comes up. And I think I have a picture. Did I not put the picture of the formula? I didn't. It's on my paper over here, but you can't see it from where you're at. This formula comes up, and, and honestly, I wish I knew how to read this formula. It was, it's, it's called guanidium nitrate. This formula comes up in the book. And, um, and we start talking about what, you know, how to decompose it and what it means and how you add it. And then this light comes on in Mrs. Brister's mind, and she goes, Jeremy, Jeremy. So yes, ma'am, this is why you need to know chemistry. So why? She said, did you know that this formula is what works in your car every day that you're driving? I said, it does. How? She says, in fact, this formula can save your life. This is why chemistry is important. It can save your life. So how is it going to save my life? She said, guadinium nitrate is the chemicals that are used in airbags. So if you crash in your car, and I know you use it every day because you drive to school, if you were to crash and the airbags deploy, that's, that's a result of chemistry. That's why it's important for you to know. It's important for you to know exactly what the periodic table is and what chemicals are explosive and which ones are not because you may be handling them one day. And I thought, that is great. I'm not even joking. After that day, I started paying attention a whole lot more in chemistry class. It became a lot more real. It became like, ah, there is some everyday use to this. It's not just something that I got to memorize to get out of 11th grade. There's some practical realities from this. You know, the hope that we've been given, what we studied last week in verse 3 to 5, uh, has a purpose for us. It has some everyday realities that we can apply into our lives. And this morning, we're going to read from verse number 6 all the way down to verse number 12. And we're going to look at some of the realities that hope should have in our life, that it produces, that, that, that applies 
to what we do every day in our Christian walk. Look at 1 Peter chapter number 1, verse number 6, and we'll, we'll read what some of these applications are, then we'll talk about them. Verse 6 says, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory, at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, Searching what and what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. Which things the angels desire to look into. How does a hope apply? What is Peter talking about when he's writing all of this? Let's break it down if we can this morning to see how the hope applies because he's talking about applying now this hope. We understand what the hope is, this future glory that's been given to us. How does it apply? Number one, if you have your notes, it applies because we can rejoice in trials as a result of this hope. We can rejoice in trials. Now, Peter begins to write about the reality that hope causes us to rejoice hope causes us to rejoice especially in trials i i i i said last week listen if if talking about salvation bores you i'm not sure you're understanding what salvation is i think you might have a little bit too high of uh, a self-opinion uh, in your life of, of who you think you really are and what you really deserve because when you look biblically at the picture that is painted of who we are as mankind we deserve nothing but the worst, condemnation, death, and judgment. Salvation took that away. Salvation put that death, condemnation, and judgment on Jesus Christ. And Jesus gave us his, his innocence, his righteousness. He declared us righteous. That's what the word justification means. He declared us righteous. So salvation is something that's it's amazing. And how you apply it, is as you think about salvation, knowing what it is, it'll begin to cause you to rejoice in times of trials. The, the word manifold here in verse number six in the King James Bible, it's the Greek word poikilos, and it means varied or diverse. The word temptation is the Greek word parismos, which means testings. So diverse testings. If it sounds familiar... Remember when we studied the book of James, in James chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. It's the same phrase. Manifold temptations, diverse temptations, varied trials or testings. So Peter says, the hope that you have should cause you to rejoice. Wherein, verse number 6, wherein ye greatly rejoice. Now, why should we rejoice when facing trials? How does hope cause joy when facing a difficult time in my life? Well, it causes joy 
Because every trial we face tests our faith. Every trial that we face is a test of our faith. Notice that he says, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through these testings. These manifold temptations. You rejoice greatly because this is an opportunity for you to prove to yourself and to prove to others that your faith is real. That this is more than just a religious act. This is more than just a religious thing that you do in your life. No, that there is a genuine and sincere faith in your life that you live by. A truth that you believe. You see, the, the hope that we have of this future glory is, is, a, is a glory that uh, when trials come and you begin to reflect on that, it begins to prove Prove in your life and test that what you're going through isn't as bad as it seems. That what you're going through isn't going to be here forever. Hope reminds you that things do change. That things will change. You can rejoice greatly, as Peter says, because that trial you're going through simply tests and proves that your faith is genuine. Do you know that all testing proves something? For instance, if you think about it, in school we have tests. Why? Listen to the teacher lecture for 45 minutes, or in some cases, I don't know if they still have the schedule of an hour and a half class, block schedules. But you listen to, to the teacher to lecture and give you the material but usually at the end of the week or every two weeks, we have the test. Why do we have the test? The test is there to prove that you're learning something. In fact, it's to prove that you're retaining what you're being taught. That's all the test does. It doesn't really prove how strong you are. It's just, hey, are you, are you capturing what I'm, I'm saying? Are, are, are you... Are you really thinking about what you're learning, how it applies, and are you growing in this area? We see tests are used in science to prove something, right? Science has theories, and then you've got to test your theory, all right? Is, is this theory something that really happens? Is this the way it really works? And you, and you run an experiment, a test, to try to prove your theory. All tests prove. Bible says when you're going through the different trials of life, those temptations or testings, they're there to prove something. What are there to prove? They're there to prove your faith. Do you really believe that there's a better future ahead? You know, I do believe that if, as Christians, we really believed the hope that we've received our priorities would be very different many times. I don't know that the material things of this world would matter as much. I'm not sure that where we spend our time would be what we would spend our time doing if we really believed the hope that we have. 
You see, when things get difficult, it requires us to begin to think about our hope. You know, when I've seen people's hope become very real in hospitals. As a pastor, I've had to make hospital visits, and it's, it's amazing how when you're laying in a hospital bed, how your mind starts thinking, is this going to be forever? Is my future going to change as a result of what I'm going through? And how much is it going to change? And how long will I have to deal with this? See, what a hope does, it be, reminds us that it's not going to be forever. Even if you wake up and you're losing the use of your right arm, it'll only be for this life. You'll have a better one later. Hope causes us to say, you know what? If I really believe that, then I can rejoice in what I'm going through now. Because it's just God testing me. Do you really believe what I'm saying or not? It's interesting. I, I don't know about you, but when I was little, I would, <clears throat> I would uh, read the stories of, you know, Joseph and Moses and David. And I would think, yeah, I'd make that decision if I were them. But as I get older and you start seeing the context of all that they were going through, to believe God through those tests wasn't as easy as it is now. For instance, Abraham was never told that he wasn't going to kill Isaac. He went to Mount Moriah fully believing he was about to sacrifice his son. It's easy for us to say, now well, if I were Abraham, I think I would have believed God. Yeah, because you know the end of the story, and you know that he didn't sacrifice his son. But he didn't know that. You know, when you're laying in a hospital and it looks like everything is dark and dreary, there is when you say, can I be like Abraham and show my faith here? Can I still believe God when things are going so difficult in my life, when the testing is coming or is here? Maybe the testing of your financial situation or the testing at your job. I don't know what trial you're facing in your life today, but just remember, you can rejoice through it because the trial is just simply a proving of your faith. It's God's way of saying, hey, do you really believe the hope that you have? We can rejoice because every trial we face tests our faith but we can rejoice because every trial we face purifies and prepares us. If you continue to read in verse number eight, he says, whom having not, I mean, verse number seven, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found into the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. What's he talking about? He's, he's using a, a, a metaphor that they would understand really well. Back in those days, just like in today's day, if you're going to purify gold, you put it through fire and let the dross and, and those things that make gold ugly. I don't know if you've ever seen gold in a cave, but it doesn't look great. It's, it's a rock and it's, you know, sometimes it's a little bit dark and um, you might see some yellow in it, but, but not a lot. It doesn't look beautiful like when you're wearing a gold necklace that's already been purified, that's shiny, that looks amazing. 
from that rock that is ugly to that necklace that we wear, there's a process. Part of that process is a fire. It begins to burn and melt away all the impurities that are covering the gold. Peter says, just remember that the testing that you're going through, you can rejoice. Not only because it tests your faith and proves your faith to be genuine, but also because it's purifying you and preparing you. Let me remind you of something that you probably already know as a Christian. And that is that one day we will stand before Christ. That Jesus is coming and he will rule this world. And we will rule with him. And the reward that we will receive will not be received until that time. In fact, you read the very last verse of the Bible in Revelation. Jesus, or the last chapter, I think it's second to last verse or third to last verse. Jesus says, I'm coming back. I will come again. And I bring my reward with me. What reward? For who? The reward is for those that have passed through the fire. Whose faith was genuine. That's what Peter's talking about. He said, you know why you can rejoice? Because as you're going through this trial, he's purifying you. He's, he's taking out all those impurities in your life so that when he comes, you are prepared to receive the reward that he has for you. There's not a reward for those that just continually live in sin. There's not a a reward for those that uh, do not want to walk with God and, and follow the word of God. There's no reward for those that live that way. But that future glory looks really bright when you think about your faith that endures. And the reward that comes with that faith. I like what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 15 and 16. It says that you may be blameless and harmless the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain neither labored in vain I love that phrase he's telling the Philippians who were going through times of trial who were going through difficulties he says that you would be blameless and harmless living right why? So that you might shine as lights in the world. Peter says, as gold that is refined is shining. Paul says, just as a light that's being turned on in a dark world. Th th that, is, that is what the hope that you have produces. And that's why you can rejoice. Even when things go bad in life. Even when your family life isn't what you want it to be. Even when your workplace isn't the best workplace ever. Even when your children aren't living the way you would want them to live. They're proving times. So God says, we have this hope that produces joy in trials. What else do we apply hope to in our life? Not only joy in times of trials, but hope allows us to love God more each day. Hope is the catalyst that brings our love more into focus. 
you ever thought about this? Why do we love someone we've never met and never seen? Because at the end of verse 7, Peter is saying the reward that comes with the appearing of Jesus Christ. In verse number 8, then, when he says, "On whom ye love, he's talking about Jesus. Jesus lived about 2,000 years ago. I wasn't around 2,000 years ago. I've never seen him, and I've never met him. Yeah, why do we love him? It can't be because of outward beauty. It can't be because he's given and done me a personal favor that I've seen. It can't be that. But then why do we love him? Well, Peter gives us two reasons. One, we love him because of the hope that's based on his character and person. The character and person of God is what we fall in love with. We love that he's merciful and loving. We love that he sent his son to die for us. We love that he is faithful and patient with us. We love that he is a great shepherd and a guide in our life. We, we love that about God. Because hope teaches us this. Hope teaches us that we are not alone. That he will perform, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, that which he started in us until the day in which he returns. Till he completes it, till he fulfills it. Hope allows us to love God more because it reminds us of what his character and person is. Hope brings all of God into focus in our lives. We get to see who he really is, and it makes us rejoice. The world doesn't see him that way. In fact, the world reviles the name of Jesus Christ. In fact, probably you, like me, have heard people use Jesus Christ almost as a curse word. You probably heard people use his name in vain. Funny how they don't use their own, but they'll use his name. Why? Because they revile him. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Paul says, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Those that don't have hope are blind to his character and his person. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. See, they can't rejoice in testings. Because we all have trials in life. Not just like Christians that go difficult times. I've noticed when I've gone to the hospital, not everybody goes to church in the hospital. Not everyone believes the Bible that's in the hospital. We all go through trials, but those that believe have a hope that they can rejoice in. Those that don't are blinded to that. They're not being purified or prepared. They don't even see it. The God of this world has blinded them. But when you have the hope that we have, you get to love God more. You begin to see who he really is. You begin to really appreciate the love and the mercy that he has. His faithfulness. 
We can love God more each day as we see his character in his person, but also the confidence of his return. Whom having not seen, ye love. Why do we love him? Because of his character. And then he says, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. He says, he's not come back. He's, he's not here yet, but. The beautiful thing about our hope is that we can live as if he's already here. He says, you haven't seen him yet. Yet means he is coming. Yet means it's just not right now per se. We don't see him in person, but one day we will. We shall see him as he is. What hope does is it allows us in a small way to experience that moment. Hope does. In a dark world where it seems like everything is going bad, just just open up whatever your favorite news site is on online and you see that we live in a pretty sad world. Yet hope. Hope allows us to rejoice and hope allows us to love God even more. Why? Because he's coming back. 1 Corinthians 13, 12, For now we see through a glass darkly. But then... When Jesus is here face to face, now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. Paul said, you can experience a little bit of that hope. In fact, in verse 9, he writes, receiving the end of your faith. The end of our faith. What is the end of our faith? That hope, that future glory. Receiving the end of that faith is, look, I, I, I haven't experienced it yet. But just thinking about it is pretty awesome. He says, even the salvation of your souls. Here that word soul is the context of being our whole being. We're going to be changed. Paul has this kind of theme in Hebrews chapter 11. We studied that not too long ago. That's why we're pilgrims and foreigners in this world. Just passing through. It's not who you're going to be forever. Who we're going to be forever is much better than who you are now. We see that hope allows us to rejoice in trials. It allows us to love God more. Let me give you another way that you apply hope into your life every day. And that is hope allows us to recognize our position in Christ. Once you get to verse number 10 and you go down to verse number 12, Peter's ending this section with a reminder of the great privilege that we have in this hope. The hope that was not clear to those in the past, to the prophets of the Old Testament. Man, they, 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 were, they were preaching things and they were sharing things that they didn't fully grasp, but we get to. They would, they would preach of a future Messiah. We look at back at who that Messiah is. That is Jesus. 
They, they, were, they were kind of saying, okay, I know, I know there's a future glory. I know he's going to rule in this world. And, and they were seeing that mountaintop experience. And they said, man, the Messiah, he's going to be the king. And he's, he's going to treat us. And, he, and we're going to be his people. And, and they had all these messages. But, but, but that's all they could see kind of dimly. They couldn't see the glory that was going to come even before his return. Before sitting on the throne. Can see the glory of this age of grace in which we live. They couldn't see the position that we were going to have in Christ. But the hope that we've received allows us to recognize that. As recipients of the grace of God, the Old Testament prophets didn't have that same grace. Was the grace of God in the Old Testament? Yes, you can see the grace of God. As in his mercy, he would withhold judgment from the people of Israel. And in his grace, he would provide a way for them to, to have victory. If you read in 1 Samuel, we don't have time to go through it. But in 1 Samuel, the word Ebenezer means, to this point, God has helped. And when you read the story, when Samuel declares God as Ebenezer, you would think, oh, this is when the people of Israel, they're really following after God. They were really believing in him. And you know that at that time, Israel was going further away from God. The Ark of the Covenant wasn't even amongst them. And yet God in his grace gave them victory and they were able to recover the, the Ark of the Covenant. Ebenezer, up to this point, God has been good. There's the grace of God, but, but the grace of God in the New Testament is something that the Old Testament prophets didn't have. The Spirit of God indwelling in us as it is today, they did not have that. The Spirit of God, the Bible says, would move upon them, but then it would get off of them as well. It would go away from them. That's why even David, uh, when he was in Psalm 51, confessing his sin with Bathsheba, he said, please, God, don't take your spirit from me. The Spirit of God would just move on people and move off of but the age of grace that we live in, the Spirit indwells you, and, it's a, and he says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That's the hope that we have. We can recognize that position. I don't have time. You can see, and I put it in your notes in the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 8, he starts with a vision. When you get to verse 15 and 16, he's asking God, what does this even mean? Peter is saying they, they couldn't understand everything that God showed them. But we can. God has showed us his abundant grace. They couldn't and didn't have the privilege of that, of that reality. But we do. To them it was a mystery. I don't know when the Spirit of God's going to come and He's going to indwell His people. And, and I remember, you know, Ezekiel said they're going to have a new heart. I'm going to give them a new heart. Remember, what, when is that? And, and how is that? And how is that even possible? And they never knew. But we know. By the coming of the Messiah and the work on Calvary, it changed everything. That's why it's called a New Testament, a new covenant with God. In the Old Testament, the covenant was established by the blood of goats and bulls. And it covered sin. Pastor John talked about that in the first song. 
But the new covenant wasn't done or, or, or given by blood of bulls and goats. But by the blood of Jesus. And that blood purchased us. And it justified us. And it made us new. And it made us righteous. And it changed completely who we are. Galatians chapter 4. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Man, Peter says the prophets didn't know that. Hope allows us to recognize our position as recipients of his grace, but also as identifiers with his suffering and his glory. You know, Christ suffered for us. There's a lot of things we can't identify with Christ. We can't identify with his sinlessness because we're sinful. We can't really identify with his power because we're powerless. But his suffering? Peter said, you can identify with that. We don't have time to go through all of the times in the book of Acts when the disciples were persecuted that they said, wow, what a privilege, what a blessing to suffer for the name of Christ. To be beaten because we call ourselves Christians. It's not like they liked people whipping them. It's not that they liked to spend the night in jail. They weren't checking in like in a hotel. But they did it because they said, we are identifying with the suffering of Christ. He suffered for us. We gladly suffer for him. In Philippians 1, 28 to 30, I love how Paul states it. He says, don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they're going to be destroyed but that you are going to be saved, even by God himself. That is the hope that we have. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. Paul said, man, it ain't easy. Identifying with the suffering of Christ you could just recognize that that's what hope does for you and for me. It turns the table. It says what I'm going through ain't going to stay forever. What I'm going through is just kind of part of life. That's what Christ went through himself, being sinless and perfect, never offending anyone, never uh, uh, cursing at anyone, never reviling anyone. In fact, uh, later in this letter, we'll see where Peter says, he was reviled, but he reviled not again. In other words, he didn't respond in kind. This morning, our hope gives us much to love and rejoice in. We can rejoice in trials because they test our faith and purify and prepare us. We can love God more through our hope because he is so good even in difficult times. And he's coming again soon. Our hope is great because it helps us to recognize our position in Christ. We see who we've been made to be 
We have what others desired to have but couldn't. And I say, I'm not really sure what testing you're facing. Could be a physical test of your health, financial test with your money. It could be a relationship test with your family. I, I don't know. But can I say the answer to what you're facing is hope. It's hope. This world is not our home. There is a bright future. Because there's a bright future, whatever suffering you're going through is temporary. Whatever trial you're facing in life, rejoice. Because it proves your faith. It proves that you really believe what you say you believe. It makes you shine like gold. Except gold loses its value. Salvation doesn't. Your hope doesn't. In 1941, Esther Kerr Rostoy wrote the words of this song. I love it. The song says, Oft times the day seems long, our trials hard to bear. We're tempted to complain, to murmur and despair. But Christ will soon appear to catch his bride away, all tears forever over in God's eternal day. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of here's your face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. Sometimes the sky looks dark with not a ray of light. We're tossed and driven on, no human help in sight. But there is one in heaven who knows our deepest care. Let Jesus solve your problem. Just go to him in prayer. Life's day will soon be o'er, all storms forever past. We'll cross the great divide to glory safe at last. We'll share the joys of heaven, a harp, a home, a crown. The tempter will be banished. We'll lay our burden down. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. That's our hope. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your truth. Thank you for the hope that we've received. It's not a hope that's dead, but rather one that is so much alive. A hope that brings us joy in life's most difficult moments. A hope that causes us to love you more because we'll see you more clearly. A hope that reminds us of just who we are in you. What we've made, been made to be that others wish they could have had just a little of what we have. A hope that, that reminds us that suffering 
is simply a way to identify with our Savior. Father, I don't know what your people are going through now, but I would think there's someone here this morning that needs just a little bit of hope. The devil has planted in their mind that it'll always be this way, nothing's going to change. That life is just one big unhappy experience and and has no meaning no great ending oh but father your word teaches us different what we've received is a hope that is glorious and amazing and one that we can live in even today yes you're not here yet but you're coming what you're preparing us for the trial that you've allowed in our life is simply meant to make us shine better help us Father to live in this hope the hope of Jesus Christ be with us I pray help us to apply this into our lives Yes, it's in Jesus' name.